Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. As you can tell from the title of the podcast, we are myself and a guest are doing a review of The Bourne Identity in preparation of Jason Bourne's release, which is coming out at the end of July 2016. I'm so excited! Yes, as the my guest is... Uh, very excited. He wants to speak up. And why don't you introduce yourself, excited guest? Ah, this is excited guest, Tim Rooney. Ah, how are you doing, excited guest? I'm you... doing extremely well. Yes, my voice does sound like Dakota Wiegand at dwdrawings.dvnart.com, but... It's Shameless a, plug right it's, there. It's excited guest. All right. As we can tell from the title, we're about to do a review of The Born Identity, so let's jump into that right now. Woo! <laughs> Okay, I love that song. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you really enjoy the theme song. It's, you just headbang to it, of course. Now, as these things go, every movie or book review that requires a synopsis, and I always make my guests do that because it kind of eases them into doing things like that. And since Dakota's become the de facto synopsis person, and since you're such a huge fan of these movies oh, and no. books, I'm actually rather hesitant to let you do this because I don't know if you'll be you can compose yourself well enough to do this. Can I'm, you handle it? I'm hesitant myself. I wasn't expecting this. Wait, you weren't expecting to do the synopsis? No. <laughs> oh well. Do you want me to do it? If you want me to do, it, I'll do it. Must have the courage and try not to butcher it. Okay. Well. Okay. <clears throat> How now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? Okay, so we. Yeah, you. Start. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Are you, are you, uh, you going to start? <laughs> yes, I am. Okay, so the born identity. It is a movie. It's a movie released in 2002. Yeah, exactly. And it has Matt Damon in it. That's really all you need to know. It has Matt fucking Damon in it. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon is a spy. He's He's a... Remember... He okay. So Matt Damon. We start off the movie with with some guy floating in the water, picked up by a fishing boat. Discovers that he has zero memory of why he's there. Why there's some like chip in his hip that shoots out bank numbers. That rhymed. Chip in the hip. Chip in the hip. Chip in the nip. Who are you? I'm a guy <laughs> with a chip in the hip. Anyway. <laughs> so from that point on, he should go to try to discover himself because the only clue that he has was this chip in the. Hip. <laughs> You Chip so- in his pelvis. Fine, fuck you. You want to be anatomically correct, <laughs> which leads him to a Zurich bank. However, the CIA that he was working for is like he has not checked in. We have to go find him. This is not unlike him. this is not like him. So now they're now they're hunting for him because a rogue CIA agent is not good. No. He finds the bank, does some crazy crazy ass ship, tears up a U.S. embassy, meets Marie, the main uh, the side character and love interest of the sto- of the movie. Mm-hmm. They book it to Paris. Uh, the CIA is like, crap, 
We missed him. Send out all the other Treadstone people because he just destroyed a U.S. embassy. Treadstone is like the big umbrella organization. So they sent out Clive fucking Owen. Some... And two other guys that we don't really don't know. But Clive fucking Owen. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Clive Owen. To kill him. Fight scene happens in Paris. Other whole, whole shit goes down. Just... It, it's so hard to explain because like it's him just trying to find his memory in this b- movie mm-hmm. and the CIA is trying to like, stop him from doing bad stuff because they think he's rogue. Right. That's really the synopsis of the movie and there's just so much details to get into. It's kind of hard to do a synopsis. Like, we'll get we'll get into the details when we explain. I'm break, sorry we people do... because it's not my usual Harry Potter synopsis that's awesome. Yes. I'm sorry too. I feel like I let you down. No, no, no. You let me down a myriad of other ways but Doing a synopsis is not one of them. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. As long as you don't disappoint me, much like... Oh, what's disappointing me? In bed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> well, going back to our crude conversations that we had via text last night... <laughs> Uh, like, all right, now to kind of roll that, roll over, face down, ass up. Like, wow, we got to be so blunt. Like, I like it like this sometimes. <laughs> I can't be tender all the time. You got to be rough every now and then. I'm not that type of a girl. Well, too bad. You're gonna be, you're gonna be busted open tonight by me. Anyway, back to the review. <laughs> so Matt Damon uh, stars as the amnesiac assassin. That's yep. alliteration right there with doings and stuff like that. I see what you did. Um, Jason Bourne, who. It's on a quest to find out who he is, and throughout the... It's a quest that doesn't end with just this movie. No, it doesn't. It's actually still going on. Yeah, it, theoretically, it's still going on, but if... Because obviously this is, was a trilogy initially, then became... That was a spinoff with Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner, and now we have the Jason Bourne movie coming out at the end of July. Which is probably going to be the last one, because I don't know how much many more times Matt Damon can be Jason Bourne. Physically, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, he has the question list of how many times he wanted to do that. He loves the character. He keeps bringing it back. Yeah, that's good. But and it's one of the things, like, like the journey of trying to find out who he is. If there was no other sequels, you wouldn't feel unsatisfied. No, this if, as a standalone movie, which you could tell this probably was... They meant were, to be, yeah. Meant to be a standalone Despite movie. Despite the fact this is based off a series of books. Yeah, but the way this movie ends is just so, like, it's definitive. There's yeah. nothing... I mean, there's stuff to, left to be desired. Yeah, because the, but... the, the second to last scene leaves it open to... Leaves it wide open. However, it's not heavy-handed like most more movies today that's like, oh my god, that is total sequel bait. Yeah, because... it's educatedly left open. Yes. And your feelings on Damon's character in this movie. Oh my god, this is the... This is my first movie that I actually remember seeing Matt Damon in. Okay. And ever since this role... The shocker to probably no one listening to this because you actually don't remind me. Totally, is my man crush. Yes, I mean when I told then everyone's like, so you have, we know you're gay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I mean, like, there's so much blatant homoeroticism <laughs> in these podcasts. I'm like, I'm so much so that I feel like they probably know I'm straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. no, no. Like, I just feel like the joke I continue to bring up. I just feel bad for Nikki sometimes because a. <laughs> Just because of our crude nature and vulgarity. Yes. And then it just, like, just make our situation any more uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But this yes. is the first time, I think, is first, where the root of it, it comes from. It all crush. stems from the board identity of my, like, I don't know. If, it inserted its roots into you. That's what you're saying. Yeah. He's by like far... Like the my, Evil Dead. Yeah. 
That's a tree rape joke. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a thorny subject. <laughs> I'll leave it alone. <laughs> okay. I think this got awkward. Way to bring a tree rape scene into this podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's rare to bring up tree rape in any conversation that remains civil. So whatever an opportunity presents itself, I have to I have to take. We were it. talking about the born identity. So yeah, Matt Damon in this movie totally became one of my favorite uh, male uh, actors of all time through this movie and following. After this movie, just watching him throughout other movies, I just you have to love him. Yeah, I mean he's such a very talented actor. There's you don't see Matt Damon in this role; you see Jason Bourne in this role, right? And I just feel like he has just owned owned this role from the get go. Yeah, and it's a testament, like you're saying, it's a testament to his acting abilities because, like, if you watch him like in as recent as The Martian or Sing Ryan or the the Ocean Eleven movies, you see like those those are definitely very distinct characters mm-hmm. and then you watch the born trilogy the born trilogy the born movies i should say and he's very different and it may not be because right before we the movie started rolling because we watched we had just rewatched it right before we did this recording here yes. um it's funny to see how young matt damon looks like in he's this a little baby i mean it's not like courage under fire young or like saving Private ryan young but no. it's it's 14 years ago at this point so it's like whoa and not saying that he's like become old and decrepit or anything like that. He was thirty one when they shot this. Wow, and it's just—it's like almost like a picture of Dorian Gray. It just feels like he hasn't aged or anything like that. He—he he has an elixir that he drinks, and that's why it's kept him like this. You can tell he's aged since. a little bit, but like I love that one shot in the Jason Bourne trailer after he knocks out that dude in the uh, the desert and just cuts oh, yeah. that extreme close up of him, mm-hmm. and you can tell there's some gray hairs in his pro in the profile. Gray hairs, a little bit more wrinkles around the eyes, but and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but like getting back to his performance yeah. here, it's very easy to play somebody with a disability and it become a hindrance or just like oh, like a pity party kind of thing, mm-hmm. because being an anesiac. Is that? I guess it's. Uh... I I I'm, I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, I, I apologize if I have gotten that term incorrect. Um, it's very easy to play that, and it just become kind of just like almost like a joke oh, or a parody. Like I can't. I? Yeah. I I who are you? It, it's like almost like the joke from Tropic Thunder. Like you never go full retard. Like it's <laughs> it, it's almost like that situation. It could have gone too far, but he plays it. I think the script <laughs> does it really well. Doug Liman's direction and Matt Damon's performances play it like all right. You real. Feel really bad for him, but he's not completely useless you're, or anything like you're that. You're totally involved with his struggle. Yes, it, it, instantaneously because he wants to know more about who he is. You want to know more about who he is. Yeah, because I think, and I think that's due to the casting of Matt Damon. Like he's such a identifiable and likable person. Like any struggle he goes through, you're just like, all right, I'm yeah, going through it. And the, some of the scenes where he's not being a total badass, he is a very likable person. Yeah. I mean, some of the scenes with uh, him and Marie are just going like you, every time Marie smiles, you're going, you're smiling too because you're it's just, like, oh, you're just so yummy. <laughs> you had to use my that. words. Is you had to use that adjective right there. <laughs> yummy. <sighs> I know. Anyway, Matt Damon brings out the worst in me. <laughs> and you were the best of him inside you. <laughs> I already told my I did tell my girlfriend that like if Matt Damon ever comes knocks on my door come and knock sit, on my door da 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 da, da <laughs> and I've sit, been waiting for you 
He knocks on my door and says, I'm gay. I need you. I told her I'm flat out leaving you for Matt Damon. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. And like, just be like, all right, fine. I'm leaving. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> and so it's almost like an it's because there's so much we can talk about the other characters in the movie. It's not saying there's not enough to talk about uh, Matt Damon's performance in here. It's just we've never seen him to be that physical yet in his career, being that much of a physical threat or a physical presence. No, this is definitely the first movie where and he's, he's not like he's not a muscle bound person. He's not. He's not like oh my god, like I can't fit through a doorway. That's how muscularly I am. I mean, he's pinnacally fit. Yes, he, he's like. Amazingly fit, yeah. But no, he's not bodybuilder fit. No, he's 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 not like he's Arnold black op, he's black ops agent fit. Yes, and and almost set a precedent for action stars to come after that. Like even if you look at Daniel Craig, who is very big he's, and muscular, like, yeah. he's a little more rugged than him. But it's like I think this movie because of the series that they made James Bond get more rugged. Yes, and because all right, let's bring let's well, get we we can address that later because there's so much more to talk about. Yeah, all right. I'm sorry, I got off topic. Yeah, that's... we're gonna bring up James Bond in this series at the very end of the of this podcast anyway. So yeah, let's move on. Let's yes. let's move on to Chris Cooper's character who plays the head of the CIA, Conklin. Conklin, your feelings on his performance? Love and... him. Every movie that uh, every movie that Chris Cooper is in, it's always good. Yeah, he well, he, he's always good. He's always good. He get like it's. Uh, the movie, like, uh, we were talking about, like, uh, he was in a movie a couple years ago where he played the corrupt FBI agent. It was a big scandal here in the States about, um, and it was, it was weird. It was a bunch of, like, events that happened in America, like, very public. That was, like, you had 9-11, you had the anthrax, you had DC shooter, you ha- and you had this FBI agent caught red-handed. And they made an adaptation of that l- last story. And Chris Cooper played the FBI agent in question. And... He's the star of that movie. He steals the show, even though he's not the lead character. He's a supporting role. But um, Chris Cooper's performance in this one, in Born Identity, that he's somebody who's trying to... That movie's called Breach, by the way. Breach. And it's with Ryan Philippi. I think that's the uh, main star in that. Am I wrong? Am I right? Ryan Philippi. Oh, two points for me. Anyway, Cooper's character in Born Identity is somebody who's... It's damage control. That, that's 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 how you. Yeah, and the other movie I was telling you about before was the Kingdom. It was the Kingdom. Okay, because yeah. I, I said it in passing, and I'm like, ah, that doesn't sound right. That was with Jamie Fox. Correct? That was with Jamie Fox. Yeah. Okay. Cooper's performance in here is like it's his whole mission of it is damage control. Would you agree, would you concur with that? At when as soon as Jason Bourne left fell off the map, that his whole role was damage control. Right. But he is the he is the um, acting. Uh, the head of Treadstone, uh, Treadstone Operations, and Treadstone is the subsidiary, or like- that is like the project name of the C- this like small CIA project project where they take um, in the movie it's four four agents put on train them to like the extreme point of just physical and mental peakness, right? I mean, to the point where there's obviously if you see what the other Treads, at least with um, Owen Wilson's character, mm-hmm. they're, they're all suffering from. Like symptoms. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Who did he say? Owen Wilson. Oh wow. Wow, man. I mean, oh. I mean, I went on a mission once. I broke my nose, and uh, wow. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Clive Owen. I think you should kick your ass for that. Fuck you, Clive Owen. <laughs> Why do you say that anyway? Yeah, it, it's a long story. 
you're you're in the we'll audio t- you're in the audio medium right now. Yes. This is the place okay. to tell it. So, if you know me, <laughs> I've always every time I see Clive Owen or someone brings up Clive Owen, I have to say, "Go fuck yourself, Clive Owen," or "Fuck you, Clive Owen." Why? Because he was on the cover of GQ magazine one day, and he is like in a suit, sitting there casually with a stupid grin on his face. And I was playing NHL 14, and I'm playing via pro mode, and I'm on the Detroit Red Wings. And Jimmy Howard decides to go to sleep, leave the ice, go take a go eat a burrito, and lets up every single go- shot on goal. I'm getting frustrated. I sh- turn off the game furiously, look down, and I see Clive Owen mockingly <laughs> smile at me. So go fuck yourself, Clive Owen. So you're saying his... Grin that he took probably he's months, a fucking asshole. That a picture that he probably took a months prior was somehow futurely preparing himself to mock you because you couldn't handle uh, who are you playing. You were playing as the Red Wings. Who? Are you, what was the team you were playing against? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. You're the Detroit Red Wings, and Jimmy Howard is letting up every shot on goal. So you think he had the forethought to make sure that shit-eating grin on his face was for you? Yes. Okay. Fuck him. All right. Anyway. Back to Chris Cooper. Yes. Awesome in this movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, he plays the cleanup role, and he's trying everything to make sure that it's cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Jason Bourne being Jason Bourne, it's not allowing that. No. And it's and it's funny because, like, Brian Cox plays a head, like, one of the, like, person who, like, oversees Treadstone, like, mm-hmm. who's he Chris Cooper's boss. What did you say? Ward Abbott is his name. Ward Abbott. Comes down and finds out, like, what the hell's going on. And he's like, and he totally lies to his boss, saying, yeah, yeah, we have everything under control. He's going to get back to us in 24 hours. You never asked questions Shoo, 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 shoo. You never asked questions before. You never made a mistake before. (laughs) Ooh, just burn. You need need some vinegar for that burn right there. I mean, damn. (laughs) Pop some holly, I'm sweating. Brian Cox was awesome in this movie. Yeah, I... The supremacy has a bigger role. Yes, but Brian Cox never, whatever role he's in, he always owns it. Much like Chris Cooper, like no matter what size role is he, they always bring their I mean, A this game. Is a superstar cast. Yes, and like you could say that for the entire series. Yes, there's never there's rarely a bad seed of acting in any of these movies. I honestly can't. I honestly don't think I can name one. Even like like what was it like? Uh, Marie's like. Half brothers, little kids, like kid actors, can be here missing movies. Like even like with their little British accents, like like we can't find them anywhere. And like, wait, was that her half brother? I, I thought that was like an ex boyfriend. Was it an ex boyfriend? Okay, I, that's what I thought. Next, yeah, they mentioned the half brother early in the movie when they're doing the they, research for her. I thought yeah, that's why. Yeah. I thought that's why. She, but you're probably right. I yeah, I'm not sure. They did, never made that clear. That's just somebody in the comments will correct us. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> you guys got this wrong. I'm like, have you seen the sun in 20 years? No. <laughs> My fingernails can reach across the room to tap by the keyboard. <laughs> it hurts the masturbate, but I do it anyway. Mom, bathroom. Man, it's Magic Cartman and like. <laughs> Imagine like a 40-year-old car. It's pretty much like Will Ferrell in Wedding Crash is like, Ma! The meatloaf! What is she doing back there? I never know what she's doing back there. Anyway. So, Chris Cooper, fucking solid in this movie. Yes. Moving on. Marie, played by... Franca Pontenti? 
I, I can't pronounce her name either. I We apologize. But it's Franca. Franca. Pon- Franca, if we're, if we're sorry for slaughtering the last name, Pontenti. Known for, like, Run Lola Run, for this, Born Supremacy, and recently in The Conjuring 2, which... She was in The Conjuring 2? Yes, I, I, and I saw The Conjuring 2, and I did not... I think she has, like, maybe one or two scenes in that movie, and that's probably why I didn't recognize her. Huh. And, but your feelings on her as She's Marie... She's mainly been in TV. She was in American Horror Story. I haven't watched any American Horror Story. I haven't either, but so... that's still noticeable. As a, you know, part of a two-parter. A two-parter. How about a two-hander when I ask you what are your feelings on her as an actress and you're just uh, you're leaving me to hang in the dry? Oh, she's a... I thought she was very well in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, she is... Uh, she plays Marie, um, which in the original books, by the way, which I've read the original books because I fell in love with the series, mm-hmm. uh, Marie is actually French-Canadian. Oi. And in the, here she is... Um, she's German. But it works. Yeah. It works because it's... The, the you, movies that don't follow the books, it's like the first Born Identity movie and book loosely based off each other. After that, they just go two separate ways. And other than just taking the names as... Yeah. Now, do you think that's a disappointment for the... Is Robert London still alive or is he dead? Oh, he died well, like early, like either... He died... I don't know when he died, to be honest with you. But, do, like, all right, do you think the estate cares about, the, like, the representation in these books? Or do they don't care because they're getting checks? He died 2001, so he died a year before the movie came out. He probably knew this movie was being made, and yes. that's probably... It, it's kind of shitty. I wish he got a chance to see the movie. Fun fact about Robert Ludlum. What? He never wrote a scene, like, a location in his books that he has never been to. Really? It was all from... It's everywhere he writes, he's been there. Which is crazy because some of the places that he writes about are fucking horrible. Now, what did he do before he, he was an actor? actor? That makes sense. That's what everyone thinks, though. That's what everyone... Everyone... He says he's an actor, but everyone thinks he is an ops agent, was an ops agent. Huh. Because of what he wrote. And because of the fact that he's been everywhere. Now, if that was the case... We'll get back to Marie in a second. Yes. Now that you brought this up. Yeah. If that was the case... Do you think there would have been an embargo on his publications? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was all his books were obviously fuck the Russians. Oh yeah, and I'm sure like everybody. I mean, like you think of like I forget the gentleman's name, but like the people who like worked on in the CIA published books about like the the book called the cult of CIA, mm-hmm. and it was the first time the American government like tried to put. A chokehold on the book and saying like you cannot publish these sections here and they had like blacked out pages within the book because of sensitive material even yeah. though they thought it was the American public should have known. Mm-hmm. I mean do you feel like I don't think I don't your opinions, do you think he was? I don't know. I honestly don't know him okay. that well. I know he was he's a he's a Broadway actor. He was in a couple commercials on TV, that's about it. But his big thing was writing and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much traveling you can do as an actor like that. Well, I mean, but, it's probably a very frugal and, life to live. I mean, you and probably... writing all these books in the 1970s and 1980s. I don't know. It's kind of like, okay, he's been to a couple of places. It's fun to think that he could have been an ops agent. Right. Of some capacity. <laughs> That'd be the next born movie, just the writing of the books themselves. <laughs> 
I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him. So getting back to the character Marie, your feelings on her in this movie? I lo- I like her a lot. She's yeah. a lot of fun. Um, she kind of is you in the movie because she has no idea what's going on and she's being ripped along this this whole situation because she was offered twenty thousand dollars to take Matt Damon from Zurich to Paris. Which that scene you brought this up to me and I, I probably cannot unsee it now and it's a scene where. Ever since I was a little kid, even, I noticed, like, that doesn't add up. There, but, go on. You say it. It's just horrible dubbing. I mean, um, Marie is, like, kind of, like, contemplating. She has $10,000 in her hand, thinking over, like, driving Matt Damon to Zurich. Right. And, uh, no, before that, sorry. She's like, she's like I'll give you $20,000 for a trip to Paris. And she's like, um... She says in German, like, you must think I'm a fool. And then supposedly Matt Damon off screen says you'll be a fool to not take the money. Right. But it is so not Matt Damon's voice. And it's like at too echoey, too. It's like very it, like it's ta- obvious fact that it's ADR right there. It's very tacked on. You're going like, oh. And it's probably one of the situations like. Like, the sound makes a look at the director, like, nobody's going to notice. Let's move on. Well, there's three other ADR moments, but we'll talk about this later. <laughs> shook, shook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the end uh, fight sequence God. in the hallway, there's a man with, like, a SMG firing up at the ceiling or the top level of this apartment building up the stairwells at Jason Bourne. Mm-hmm. And he runs up the stairs, and he's reloading the magazine, and he reloads it, cocks it, and it's a very yeah. stock... <laughs> Like, I think at Goldeneye, I think he used that sound effect <laughs> at one point. Cox at once, like, runs up two levels. Jason Borden goes over the railing to jump down the center of the stairwell <laughs> to fire at him. He sees him, he gets him in his crosshouse. Cox it again, do not know why. He's he, a jam he, he, all the way up. He's not even cocking it. He's just point, lifting up one hand. And, like, did he move the hammer on it? Uh, that, I, that's I, a very loud hammer. It's weird because it's funny. Like, did you watch the clip I sent you uh, in the text message earlier today of The Wire? Yes. Like, there's a moment where, like, Omar's got a shot off shotgun and he pulls on a man and you hear a pump action sound effect and I'm like and I'm watching it and I'm like wait hold on I that back it up and, up. Like, and I'm like wait and the person I was with and she's like what and I'm like oh it's it's a pump action sound effect that's not shot off when she when made that and she looks at me like really and I'm like what do you want from me? I just, I just noticed these kinds of things. I'm a geek I'm sorry and I'm like I'm in, I like movies and said me and I agree with you saying that Marie is kind of our way in, like more so because she has like a full fledged character, unlike uh, Matt Damon's character, because he has no, he's a blank slate at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where after the first fight scene that Jason Bourne has with one of the Treadstone assassins, yeah, and he's going to hide the uh, the uh, the bank bag in the train station, and she contemplates of leaving. And I and I stopped. And I lo- I turned to you. I'm like, would you leave him at that point? Uh, I. And it's a really good question because Marie doesn't. She goes – she definitely thinks it and she half-heartedly acts on it. But yeah. then she goes and buys a bottle of whiskey because – Because I think you need that to sell your nerves too. Oh, my God. I think you would need like Jaeger bo- – like shots of Jaeger to sell <laughs> Jager your nerves. Bobs. Jager bombs. Jager bombs. Jager bombs. Let's do some Jager bombs. <laughs> anyway, so she buys a bottle of whiskey and returns to the car. But yeah, I don't know what I would do in that situation if suddenly, like, okay, this guy that bought a ride for me uh, is now like su- like a superhero. Yeah, but he just killed a dude. Well, he didn't kill a dude. He fought a dude. The dude got up, jumped out of a window over a patio railing, and landed on the 
the uh, Paris Street. Paris Street on his own volition, and you're like, um, and plus all the other things yeah, he brought up. But he, Bjorn stabbed him in the hand with a ballpoint pen, and also everywhere else with the ballpoint pen. He then broke the guy's ankle and popped his knee out, oh. and broke his arm. And the dude got up, and he probably gave him a concussion too, because when he was interrogating him, he was slamming the guy's head on the floor. So the guy is probably not thinking clearly to begin with. Yeah, but like, and he knows he's compromised. So yeah, uh, fuck it. And I think that's why later on in the movie, Clive Owen, who's another Treadstone assassin, does not request medical attention after he's he just been dies of his wounds. Fuck you, Clive Owen. <laughs> so. Marie is like you. You've set a lot of emotional attachment towards her, and and it's not like oh she's a damsel in distress like that. She ends up helping him, and I and I love that you pointed out this this moment where they're following the following up the mystery of like how did Matt Damon end up in the war in the first place? How did mm-hmm. he end up with two bullets in his back? And they're tracing down all these kind of Hansel and Gretel breadstone breadcrumb uh, clues about what how who he was and all the previous identities he has. Based upon the passports he found in the the safe deposit box in his bank, right? And he's like, and he had that scene where she's going in. You have hear Matt Damon's voiceover he's saying, "What the hell is she supposed to do?" And she ends up just undermining all that. Yeah, they need to get the uh, the phone records from the hotel from the room that he was staying in before he, he disappeared. Before he disappeared, and he has this whole like very like thought out process of how to get him inside with. To making sure that no one's there waiting for him and everything like that. Yeah. And she just comes back with him halfway, like, at the beginning of the play, and she's like, I got him. H- how? How? Like, the I said I was your... Uh, personal assistant. My, uh, yeah. Um, um, Kane's... Kane's personal assistant, and I just asked for the records, and they just made a photocopy of them for me. Oh. That was easy. <laughs> it was a, that moment that... It was just much needed lev- levity in that because if it, that went through the whole process of that, right? I think that would have been a little bit too much. But mm-hmm. because it was just like that and like born, it was even going like that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. It's that a lot easier. Than, <laughs> it's like it's a Staples moment where you should have had the moment yeah. like the that, that was, was easy. easy. <laughs> anyway, so Marie, awesome in this movie. Let's move on to the other female uh, character in the movie, like the two main female characters. This one played by Nikki, played by Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. Your feelings on her in this movie? If okay, if there was a weak actor in the movie, it probably would be Julia Stiles. But that's not saying she was a she had a bad performance. No, it's a very cold, impersonal performance. Yes, but she's just the kind of like ops dispatcher. Yeah, she's nothing. She's not. She's I mean, on the ground tech person. She's yeah. She's the field tech person. Yeah, field tech. That would probably be it. Um, she's the heir to dispatch and monitor all the all the Treadstone agents in Europe. Yes. So that's what her job was, and she's pretty much executing anything that Conklin's giving to her mm-hmm. because he can't do it physically himself. Because he's back in Langley at that point. Yeah, for the most of the movie. Yes. So she was okay in this movie, right? I mean. She, her character grows the more the throughout the trilogy. Yes, and I'm glad that she was given more to do as the movies went on. Yeah, but for the most part, I think this is probably one of her first serious roles because mm-hmm. everything I believe before that was just um, was pretty much just rom coms. Right. Let's see here. 
I mean, but she, yeah, she's been acting since 1993, and this movie came out in 2002. She's so. only 35. Wow. Is she? Jeez. Anyway, yeah, so she's been acting for a little. Yeah. yeah, she's only been acting. She's been acting for since she was like a kid at that point. Yes. And I do agree that she's kind of cold and detached. I mean. I assume that's what that Tristan would look for in the person, somebody who's impersonal, who would not let emotions get in the way when it's executing any kind of order that would be coming down the pipeline. But yeah. like, but didn't you say that was like your dad's problem with the? Yeah, movies? my dad's biggest problem was her acting in the in the series because she just he doesn't think that she grew with the movie. Okay, she just kind of stayed deadpan, just very stagnant throughout. Very stagnant, yeah. But when we get to I guess supremacy and ultimatum, I kind of can see. Right, but I do feel like she did grow as an act actress through, from that from identity onward. Well, she wasn't given that much to do, really. No, no I mean your character is your CIA dispatcher. Yeah, do, do it up. Pretty much. I mean, it's not like it's not like she's given any like real dramatic scenes. But I mean, and there's nothing like, that like nothing that we can learn from. Like, there's no characterizations really of her. She could have been played by anyone. No, which I agree, but like, I feel like Julia Stiles was the right person for this. Oh, yeah, me too. And I think my, probably my favorite moment is when she's supposed to meet Clive Owen in person. That was a good moment. And she's just kind of like, just stand down in the middle of, middle of open, like some street in the middle of, uh, they were in Paris at that point still, right? They were still in Paris, yeah. And she's just kind of like looking around, waiting for him to show up, and he just pops up behind her Batman style, like making no noise. And just like takes the like the piece of paper that he gives her, and he just stalks away, and she's startled by him. And she's like, "So these are what these people really like? They're not just faces on a computer screen or text messages or phone calls or anything. Like that's the only time like she gets to really interact with them. It seems like that was the first time she interacted with these agents. Yes, though later movies we do find they hint at something more, but yeah, yeah, and we'll get into that later. But um, no, I think for the most part she does serve the role pretty well as Nikki, and as move on. Mm-hmm. She does. She still does very well as Nikki. Actually, fun fact: I did hear that Matt Damon did fought to keep her on for the supremacy. And really, yeah, because they didn't want. To, I guess they didn't want. She wasn't her. part of the story initially. Oh uh, well, she serves the. She serves her role in supremacy, but right? That's that's for another show. Yes, and and, it's, and that's something I'm probably going to bring up when we come to the Born Legacy at that point. Yeah. Well, she's in. Uh, no, she. I don't think she's in Legacy. No, we're talking about like Matt Damon wanting to fight for cast and crew's participation in these movies. He definitely seems like a person like, all right, I I know I'm the lead in this movie, but I feel like everybody should get their just deserves when it comes to being paid for yeah. what they're worth. Yeah, like born Matt Damon was supposed to be born in the Born Legacy, but due to the financing of the other cast and crew members, he dropped out because he didn't agree with how much they were being paid. Now was he was he not being paid enough at that point or no he... Matt Damon had, he wasn't fighting because he was getting underpaid he was fighting because yo Joe the cameraman deserves a little bit more for what he's doing right the, what about the audio guy what about what about Julia Stiles yeah like how come they're getting crap and I'm getting all the like pretty much the entire the King's Ransom of it like... he's like I don't agree with this and he's like you don't have to I'll like, find that I won't find that I won't do your movie and he goes off to do the Green Zone pretty much at that point yeah he did the, the Green Zone. Which I didn't see. That was an okay movie. I mean, Paul Greengrass, who did the last two Bourne movies, and the upcoming Jason Bourne, he did that too, so. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that was just okay. Yeah. Anyway, so Julie Julie Styles really good in this mm-hmm. for what she's given anyway. Yes. And then I know we mentioned him briefly, but you like let's go more into I guess let's talk about Clive Owen really quick. Ugh, Clive Owen. <laughs> As like apart from apart, I mean the guy that he took out. The first Treadstone agent he was took out, his codename was the Roman. Right. Because he was stationed in Rome. Yes. Um, so, Bourne was stationed in Paris. Clive Owens credited as the professor. The professor, because he's wearing glasses. And yes. I think he was in Brit- England. Yeah. Um, and and then- he's the only one who seems to have a family outside of his job. Because Roman looked like he was just a bachelor. I, I kind of thought that he, Clive Owen was t- giving the... A, when we was, first see him, he's giving a kid piano lessons. Oh, you think? So? Oh, he he theoretically could be single still. Okay, that's yeah. not, I don't think that was his kid. That's his cover. Oh, good call, good call. And All right. The only other person is Castle, who's I think was based in Germ in Berlin. Um, he was Ooh. the guy that kills Conklin at the end of the movie. Spoilers, but yeah. Anyway, this is a fourteen-year-old movie. People, go and see it. Go fucking see it. Are you watching? And he's going to come back again in Supremacy. Supremacy. Because he's the last one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no. Apart from those two, Clive Owen is the only other agent that has lines in the movie. Yes. And, uh, spoilers again, Bourne and him battle it out. And probably one of the better uh, – it's not a bang, 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 bang shootout. No. But it's a very good chess match shootout. It is suspicious. It's, it's suspense. A suspense, yes. And, it's my, and my, probably my favorite shot of the movie is cameras tracking along Matt Damon. He comes around the corner with the sort of with his hunting shotgun, boom, shoots the tank and just blows up. And it's all in one shot, and it goes up. And Matt Damon's actually covering himself with the house at that point because he doesn't want to get hit with anything. Yeah, no, that was. I mean, and kicks off that sequence like, oh, off. yeah, because yeah, no, that's so good and. um but yeah, during uh, at the fight when Jason Bourne takes out Clive Owen's character, uh, the professor in the uh, like the pondish fields, fields. yeah, um, he, pretty much he's asking like, like how many others are there? Like, what do you want? And he gets all the information that he pretty much needs from it. It's like I work alone, just like you. And he's just like Treadstone. Uh, and he's like, I like are, you, are you Paris, Rome? Paris. I'm, I, I'm stationed in Paris. I live in Paris. <sighs> the headaches. Do you always get the headaches? Yeah. yeah I can't stand the headaches. Oh, my God. It's like, when you're, especially when you're driving. I don't know. It's like the lights or something. It's like, who's Treadstone? Yeah. Look at this. Look at the, what they make you give up. And and it, almost it almost seems like he's relieved at that point. Yeah, it's like, it was like two comrades of war talk, like kind of talking. Yes, he just killed you, but he's like okay with that. Yeah, it, because I think that's the whole point of this movie is like, how much are you willing to give up for in the service of others, and like, how much can that really cost you? I mean, it's obviously cost Matt D- Jason Bourne's character's life up until that point, mm-hmm. any semblance of a normal life, and now his memory is gone due to the fact of this one mission compromising his memory. All the training that led up to it, too, just and it just broke him. Now, which I always, I always wondered, was it because of the injuries he sustained on the boat when he was supposed to kill Wambosi, that where that's how the movie start kicks off, was it because of those injuries that he has amnesia? In the book, 
he gets shot in the head. Okay. In the movie, it's probably him, like, the training and just his brain is swimming and then he psychological break and then the physical break of getting shot twice in the back and falling into the ocean and nearly drowning right so i guess that what's caused it i mean the book it's more straightforward like it's the same setup he gets shot twice in the back but he gets shot once in the head which i wonder why they didn't do that in this i I guess because it takes think more than two weeks to recover from because in the book he took three months for him to finally leave marseille okay I think I'm pronouncing that right, right? Yeah. Yeah, Marseille. Um, took it in the book three months to leave Marseille. He's with the doctor the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think just for just for story's sake, which I don't mind. No, I mean. I mean, you can believe that all the stress that these agents are put under and all of a sudden these, the physical shock of the mental, like, shock, like, the mental breakdown of killing this guy in front of his, all of his kids. And then, um just getting shot in the back twice and falling into the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, you're it's just, yeah, just your brain shuts down. Mm-hmm. And with Clive Owen's character, Fucking like... Clive Owen. <laughs> I, I will say, I, like, I was going to say this for later, but like, nah, I'll say that for later anyway. We'll put a pin in that. We'll, we'll come back to that. So yeah, Clive Owen, awesome in his movie. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder why he was not cast as James Bond. Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect casting call for James Bond. Just like how eventually that's how Laura Croft pretty much was for like that and Layer Cake for Daniel Craig was pretty much his calling cards until Eon was like, I think we can use a blonde Bond. Mm. Yes. <laughs> anyway, since we brought him up before, let's bring up the character Wambosi. I cannot pronounce the actor's name. Um, I'm going to slaughter it. Uh, Adalwali Akinui Agibahi. Let's go with that. The guy who played Wambosi. I'm so sorry. I apologize because I really cannot pronounce your name. Yes. Uh, but Wambosi, he was uh, he was the initial target that uh, Jason Bourne was supposed to get uh, go after, mm-hmm. and he was that was the mission that failed for him to be invisible to take him out. Right. Um, he was uh, Wambosi is this African warlord mm-hmm. uh, who was stationed, who was pretty much taken out of power and relocated to Paris, mm-hmm. and he's just been a pain in the ass for everyone. So the CIA took it upon themselves to eliminate him, but made it look try to make it look like more like a coup, right? And obviously failed. Yes. So they made it look like an assassin. So they assassinated him and flat he's, out, and he's been causing hell ever since. Yeah. Now he doesn't have much screen time to be in the movie, but like, there's what do you think of his performance in this movie? Oh, it, it, he, I mean. You could tell he played such a, like, even though he didn't have much screen time in the movie, you can tell that this guy is definitely, like, not a good person. No. And it would be someone that would be causing, like, other, other countries' grief. Yes. So it makes sense for me that, and he played it very well. Right, and it's it's easy for him to play it over the top, which he could have, but he doesn't. He does. He plays it just enough. Yeah, and I love the moment where actually, when he goes to the morgue, to look at the body to find out if the person at the morgue that they claim is the assassin. And he has that quiet moment when he's looking at the body like, something's not right here. This is not him. Not him. <laughs> and and then he goes back to his consulate to arm himself right now because he knows the assassin is probably still out there. And yeah. then, fuck you, Clive Owen, just snipes him. And he's like, hmm? And... No. 
Well, I just like had the Kai Owens confirmation that the guy's dead. It's going to wait here until I hear a scream of agony. Yep. Okay. Don't you? Shink and just breaks down his sniper rifle like he's Scorpio and Dirty Harry and just fucks off for the rest of the day. Do we understand each other? Do we understand, Do we understand each other? <laughs> Goodbye. Have... Goodbye, Callahan. I have right. <laughs> you, you tried to kill me. If I wanted to kill you, your brains would be splattered all across this field. Oh, now, where's the girl? I am right. Where's the girl? I am right to attorney. <laughs> oh my god, so many random tangents. <laughs> this is the part where people are just like, all right, fine, I can <laughs> listen to these neck beards. I, was, I want born identity, not f- whatever the fuck I'm getting. Dirty Harry? Yeah, I know. We'll eventually get the Dirty Harry, don't worry, people. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> anyway, so Wombo Seat, awesome character. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about him briefly, Brian Cox. Um... Not much to really talk about him here because it's going to be expanded upon in Born Supremacy. Right. But he's like, um, I guess he's, he's Conklin's boss. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. He oversees multiple programs. Like right. Who he, uh, he has a boss, which we will eventually find later. Yeah. But so I guess Con- Conklin's character is like more like a project manager. Yeah. And then I guess, um... Uh, Ward Abbott is more like the, I don't even know what title to give him, but he oversees many project managers over all these, uh, all these ops. Mm -hmm. So that's what his role is. It does get expanded later on because what he's been feeding the government to approve isn't exactly legal. No. Because some of the missions are not sanctioned. Sanctioned. Right. But he thinks he's doing it for the greater good. The, the greater, greater good. good. Shut it! <laughs> you should get one of those soundboards. So you I, just, I like, mean, I, like it, it just like just periodically just put those clips in. Yeah, sa- like sound bites. <laughs> anyway, so we'll talk about his character again more in Born Supremacy. Yep. But now we talk about the major cast, the, the main main people in the cast, and everything like that. Let's see if somebody else you want to talk about. No, I think that we covered everyone in the cast. I like, mean, that played a major role. I mean, Gabriel Mann played Zorn, which is pretty much like Conklin's right-hand person. And there was one moment that... The, it's, the, it's the one moment that he has where he, like, he kind of... Conklin lies to Ward Abbott, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, he's going to come back in 24 hours. Hangs up on him. And Conklin has that moment where he's just, like, trying to, like figure out what the hell he's going to do. And Zorn's just looking at him like, what orders? do we do? Yeah, and he kind of like, Conklin has that like moment like, oh, you're here. Oh yeah, like, uh, oh yeah, like do this for me instead. And then just... Yeah, which he comes back, uh, comes back next movie. He and, does. Yeah, and he gets killed, spoilers, he gets killed by Ward Abbott. <gasps> yes, because he finds out... He finds out that what... Abbott set something up to play him born for, which makes the CIA try to go after born again. Yeah. But... Zorn figures out that it was a bo- that it was a setup. It was a setup. Yeah. It was a scandal. I will not have my mind if you trained by some crazy old man. Don't you insult Albus Dumbledore in front of me. I have to bring it back to Harry Potter. I, I had to. Have to. I mean, we have such a British cast here. I think it's just appropriate that I bring it back. Yeah. No. Get back. I mean, it's based in Europe, so I guess you have to have more of a European cast to it. Anyway, so 
now we call, talk about the major cast. Let's talk about the major moments in this movie. Let's talk about oh, the execution so and the filmmaking of this. The cinematography of this movie. Gorgeous. Oh, my God. It makes you, it, like, much like how James Bond is like travelogue that makes you want to go to these exotic places. It, this watch makes you want to go to fucking France. This, yes, this, you watch, even though all this horrible shit's going on in Paris, you want to go to Paris. And it not, looks and not, gorgeous. And not saying, like, there's been plenty of movies taking place in Paris and everything like but that. But this is, like, street level. Like, these are, like, not the Eiffel Tower and fancy places. These are just everyday streets. You have Pont Neuf. Uh, you have the the new bridge. The new bridge. Yeah, Pont Neuf <laughs> stands for new bridge, and it's like three hundred years old. And then more you know. The more you know. Do, 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 do. But then you have the Fr- French uh, countryside. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like the German, uh, the Swiss, Swiss uh, gas station roadside gas station diners look amazing. Yeah, as well. it's like, because I love that moment when they're sitting in the in the gas station, and like the key light is blue, mm-hmm. and they kind of like. They have warmer, like, backlit tones of, like, the light that's supposed to be coming from the gas station, like, his little restaurant there. Yeah. And I'm just a sucker for blue lighting because I have a huge James Cameron fan. And, like, the next short film we're doing, uh, Dead Love, which we'll be shooting next weekend, so everybody can just watch our social media for updates on that. When I was talking to Christian, my the cinematographer, he's like, what do you want to look? I want... I want and when it be coming from the moon, I want to be fucking blue. And I just show him a picture. I'm blue. Which, those, those, that's, if I was green, I would die. If, was it really? Okay, yeah. okay. If I was green, I would die. If I was green, I would die. Anyway, and I'm showing a picture <laughs> of like a T-1000 from Terminator 2, like at nighttime. Like, this is the blue I want for dead love. He's like, all right, you got I it. Mean, even like, the cover art, the cover poster for the Born Identity is blue. Well, no, because that's the, that like really started the poster trend of teal and orange, and that's and that's, that it's, it's it's easily could be because of um, kind of the matrix. Yeah, but that was green. Yeah, but about, that's mon- the the one monotone coloring. Yes, but like like I'm talking about like um, I mean, you, there's different color hues in this movie. Yeah, it's they not, do it's it very well. It's not like the whole movie has a green tint to it. No, 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 and it's definitely like it's definitely a colder film. It's very bluish. It's very dark. It's dark mm-hmm. tinted to it. Um, we're talking about like it's a color wheel psychology. Like if you look at teal and orange, they're the polar opposite. Opposite. Of each other. Yeah. Um, that's why it becomes so popular. That's why red and green will work so well. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, but yeah, no, the cinema, uh, cinematography of this movie I thought was very good. Um, the only thing that I thought was contrived was the little sequence, um, and he gets off the fishing boat. Mm-hmm. It's almost too subtle to catch, but when you see it, when you notice it, you never unsee it. Um, you know, when he's getting off the fishing boat, he's looking around and like all the people are just getting on with their lights, lowering the boats, everything like that. Yeah. He walks past and, and a forklift is driving one way and a group of people come across camera. Yeah. When the people come across camera and the forklift gone, he's just magically gone. Yeah. That's a little like, okay, really? Yeah. Which becomes, which (laughs) that was the, but that's like nitpicking to me. Yeah. But the funny thing is. How many movies after that has done that? Since? How many movies before that have done that? Not too often. Sometimes. Sometimes, but it was never like, like, hell, I remember it's Captain America Civil War trailer when they're tracking Bucky. Bucky does that in the trailer. This is true. And I'm just like, and, I, and that was the first time that really became prominent and it became like a calling card of the series. If like Jason, like Matt Damon's like, oh, wait, there's a train. Vroom. He's gone. Yeah. And it just, that's like the only part, like, that's like, 
it, it's really hard to pick up the, if you watch it for the first time. Right. But when you're really watching it, you're like, wait, where did he go? Yes. It just seems a little silly. It, it, it's it's bad because it's like a, almost like a camera crane shot. So it's like looking down on him. And you're like, wait, where the hell we could have gone? We would have seen him disappear. Where Actually, if you look really carefully, he's being dragged by the forklift. Uh-huh. You kind of see him behind the forklift. That's funny. Just a little bit. I mean, there's mistakes in this movie. Of course. I mean, no movie's perfect. Yeah, but it, for the most part, I mean, this movie looks great. Yes. It. Yeah, you go. And like I was saying before we were watching it, it's definitely a product of its time because it has a lot of speed ramps and stuff like that. And it's very like MTV-style editing because it's early 2000s and stuff like that. And it doesn't do handheld too often. Not like as much as the, the, second, the third. Se- second and third one become Very known for. And like I love like like the first like altercation he has between the uh, the, the first altercation is the Zerk two Zerk police officers in, in the, the park. in the park and it's just like click 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 and you're like Whoa. what just happened yeah you are just as confused as Matt Damon at that point yeah he had no idea what he even did yes which I loved yeah and you're just like you're you're, all, you're immediately there with him like oh. Oh shit! Yeah, like um, I'm gonna drop this gun, drop this jacket, and go. Yeah, those fingerprints are on the gun, technically, of course. But anyway, then he gets into a fight with the constantly U.S. Embassy guards. Yes, after um, yeah, after he went to the bank to get his stuff, uh, the CIA op that's stationed at the bank where his stuff recognizes him and calls him in, and then that contacts all the police to get go after him. Uh huh. Which then. He manages to thwart the police by hopping to the U.S. Embassy, but now he's trapped in the U.S. Embassy. Yes. And they, and the, they were tipped off that the guy with the red uh, bank bag is wanted by the Zurich police. Mm. So they're trying to get him, and he just kicks ass and tears up the embassy and, like, oh, my God. But the only real violence in that movie was the initial contact with Bourne in the hall. Mm-hmm. And then the agent coming down the stairs where he steals the radio off of. Which... And there's no more violence after that. No. But it's so well paced that you're kind of like, oh my god, go, 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 go. You're just like you're just like on the edge of your seat at that point. Like I just want you yeah. to get out of here, get out of here. And there's, as you're saying, the agent he deals with on the stairwell. He's going up a stairwell. Guy rounds the corner. Born drops to a knee, uppercuts him in the nuts, and his roll, <laughs> and rolls, rolls him over his shoulder, and he goes down the stairs. So now he has no hopes of reproducing and a broken tailbone. I used to work at the American Consulate, and I'm now bow-legged, and I can't sit down for my life. (laughs) (laughs) He turned him into Mickey Mouse, and for and just for, I know it's just like it was just like he takes his radio off of him. Like if you were like if that was a video game, let's say would just teabag him, might as well like like just to just to humiliate him even more at that point. Yeah, but no, I mean, really, if you really think back to it, it's a great action sequence. Though the action is very limited. Yes. And it's... I mean, that was such a... And it ends with him just climbing down off the the building. It, that, one of the things about this movie I loved is how well-paced it is. Yeah. That movie was so well... That scene itself was so well-paced because it's gunning it. And you're really like... With the music building and everything like that, you're going, Oh my God, oh my God, oh God, go, 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 go. And then he's going to climb down the building and you're going like... <gasps> You're holding your breath as he's like slowly scaling down this building, and the music changes to match that pace and everything. It's just like yes, and you don't feel like blue balled by it. At no, all. There, it, there's just so much gratification in what what's going on because it would become a little monotonous if you just see him keep cutting through 
shit. Random people yeah. rather easily. That's why the next big action sequence is somebody is a physical match for him. Yeah. And he come when he comes across the Roman uh, Treadstone agent where they had the hallway fight. The fight in the apartment, yeah. But yes. And your feelings on that fight? I mean, that won, uh, some, won some award for best fight choreography. Right. Uh, it was it was gorgeous, and it was really intense. And, and that's where, like, handheld camera became really apparent in that movie is during that but scene. It was so well, but it was right well used because yes. you're, like, you're... The camera was essentially you in the room backing out of the way of this. Yes. And it was fun because the guy came in through the window, like, trying to get the drop on him. Mm. But Bourne picked up the subtle clues of... It just got really quiet and something just... Really quiet. There's no hot water. And something else. And, like... Why was that a clue? Turn off the power. Like, kind of, like... No, but the phones worked. Uh, but she was complaining about there was no hot water. It's not like this they, guy went and there was one, the water heater or something like that. No, but like then it, it had it was a clue because it was something because like he's he going, wasn't planning on coming back. Why would you turn? Why would you leave the water heater? Uh, no, he was com- planning on coming back. That's true. But that yeah no because in that sequence of him getting off the phone, everything like when he's on the phone, he his mind's racking around the. The apartment, mm. and then with her like complaining about there's no hot water, and he goes get the knife in the kitchen. Yeah, and then she comes out and he's like, and "I love the moment <sighs> when he just drops the knife and just kind of like sticks in the ground, and it wasn't like a." Tung. Yeah, no, he just drops it because she's there. Yeah, and I don't want to make myself look crazy, <laughs> more than I already am yeah. at that point. But no, but he gets the Roman gets the drop on him with the SMG firing off this, and then it becomes a fist fight. But then he pulls out like a small switchblade, mm-hmm. and okay, elevated to a new level. So what does Bourne grab? A, a ballpoint pen. Was a pen? Or was like a big, pl- like regular big. It pen? was like one of those big blue. It was a blue big pen. Yeah, right. And just and that's become the staple of the series of like in and or like random. Objects become weapons. It turns yeah. any like any Anything object in the room you could, could be a weapon, but especially within his hands, it's a very dangerous I mean, weapon. This, this movie had the pen. The next movie had the newspaper, and then uh, Sunday Times, motherfucker. And then the supremacy had a book and a washcloth. Yes, which being the getting the crap kicked out of you by a book was awesome to watch. But, <laughs> Imagine if it was War and Peace. Just one clock of that. Atlas Shrugged. One hit. One kill, one hit kill right there, pretty much. Uh, it was the good, it was the best of times and the, the worst, worst of times. times. <laughs> oh, that would be funny if it was a tale of two cities that he was beating with while he was in Paris. Oh, that would be so appropriate if he hit him with it. Uh, but anyway, I mean that sequence was awesome and multiple stab wounds to by pen. He broke the guy's arms, arm, leg, stabbed him in the. When he stabbed him to oh. to get to make him drop the knife, he stabbed the Roman in the hand, like right. right between, I guess, the ring finger and the middle finger, underneath the skin, just down deep. <sighs> oh, just uh, and then he, the guy gets up and just slowly, slowly pulls, pulls it, it out. out. You're like, like, oh, why? And it's, there's no reaction out of the guy's face. He's like, this guy's a badass. Oh man, oh, and it makes God. you wonder, like, all right. There's there's two other of these people out there looking for him too. So yeah, like, and they're like, I wonder what they're going to be a match for. Oh my god! But then like so, but then fo- immediately following that sequence, oh well, you have a breather. But then you have the the car chase through Paris. Yes. Which, by the way, if 
that was an old crappy Mini Cooper. Think about what you can do with a brand new Mini Cooper. Uh, I, I'm sure Mini Coopers probably went up a little bit in sales wise. Oh my god! I, Much like probably the Italian job did that. Both yeah. versions of the Italian job probably did that for Mini Coopers. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just what you what he what just the choreography of that chase too is awesome. And it's funny because the sound the song that they use in the soundtrack for that scene. We heard recently when when I showed you Collateral when yeah. they did that a cover and I version. I pointed it out to you, and I was like, "Really?" And I was like, "I don't know if you're right or not. I guess you are." And then watching this, and I'm like, "Oh my god, you are right." Yeah, Collateral came out after this, right? Yeah, two years later. Okay, yeah. So I mean, it's probably a normal song or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably like unless it's a Moby song. No. Okay. But I mean, like house music was become was a quite a standard of like action scenes, like house. Invented by Dr. Gregory, Gregory House. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate you, Michaela, for that, for showing me that. <laughs> I knew it. It was a sign. Me and my friend were two gay ninjas into the night. <laughs> Motors- on the same motorcycle. Jean shorts, back- pa- uh, hats backwards. <laughs> Superman has the battle. The power of dubs that... <laughs> Uh, somebody's got still has to do a Skrillex edit of Man of Steel right yeah. there. Anyway, but yeah, so car chase. Then it kind of after that it slows down a little until bit until the Clive become, Owen sequence. Yeah, until the Clive Owen sequence, which was a great another much like the um, the action sequence in the U.S. Uh, Embassy. It started off like. Boom! With Boom! A, with an explosion, with a bang! And then I think Clive Owen only fires like three shots. Yes, and it's like, oh my god, it's really intense. And then it's funny that the four major action sequences mirror each other. Starts big, goes suspense, ends that way. Big like actions? Well, not really. I mean, like. I mean, then the only action see after that was in the CIA clean, uh, clean room. Yeah, and him breaking out of it—that's very similar to the fight with the Roman. Yes, where it was action throughout. Right. So yeah, it does they have like that pattern? The only thing that kind of breaks it is the car chase. Yes, but that's not a on foot uh, action sequence and no, stuff like which that. That was very well shot too. What the uh, the car, car sequence? Yes. Yeah. Like I love that moment. Like. Because whenever I watch a movie that I, I really know, I'll quote along and I'll get giddy when certain moments on. It's rare that I've watched a movie with Dakota that he knows certain sequences or certain moments coming up before I do. Yeah, I was so, quoting this movie like there was nobody's business. And it's like, I can't really get mad at him because I did the exact same thing. <laughs> so who am I going to be talk about the co- the pot and uh, calling the kettle black at that point. Mm-hmm. If I was going to call you like, yo, shut up, man. <laughs> shut the fuck up, Mike. Um... <laughs> When they're going down the very narrow alleyway, and they're like, oh, there's going to be a bump ahead. So, like, what? Yeah, we have a bump come up. And he's going and down the flight in the Mini Cooper, like, it's oh like this God. is hurting my balls. <laughs> and he bottoms out. At that. I love that how real it is. He does bottom out at the very end. <laughs> you hear the gears grinding to get back moving. As the, it's something that you brought up. Like, it's probably just for the sake of the drama of the scene where the cop... Uh, guy on the motorcycle is chasing him and he's going down the flight stairs he's going against traffic to keep chasing him yeah that's i asked you that and i don't know if any of our listeners might be able to comment if you're a maybe a cop maybe an officer that was listening to this i don't know 
if there's a if you're in a cha- high speed chase and the car is going the wrong way down a heavy trafficked road, are you still chasing them, or are you trying to keep up with them on the right side of the road, trying to head them off? I'm assuming the latter. I would the more it would be more safe. It would be safer for you and more people to do that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for the sake of for the scene in this movie and for the drama for it, of course, yeah. he's going to follow for that. Yeah, and in that, I love the moment where, like, after they go out of the against traffic and they go on the sidewalk, there's a guy in a uh, phone a phone booth and he's trying to open the door <laughs> and and Jason Bourne drives through it and it just remind and we remind that moment of Wayne's World too where. What it's are you just, guys doing? Oh, we're moving this big piece of glass back and forth across the street every few minutes. Oh. And what about you? We're stacking fruit. Oh, you're selling fruit. No, we've got to make sure these fruit, these crates are full of fruit at all times. And then later in the movie, they crash they through crash everything. And they're like, oh, yeah. our job here is done. <laughs> it just had that moment where he goes driving through that plate glass window of that phone booth. <laughs> like, and uh. then it ends with like, just pulling into like, it was, it's almost. No, no, before that, like oh. for, for the cop. He hits, like, car cuts in front of him. Yeah. And he hits it, and he goes he over one, the hood. Yeah, 180s over the hood. And, and lands on his back on the ground. I'm like, you go, oh. You just feel every breath of oxygen just got knocked yeah, out of him at that moment. Whip, like, almost like he knew there was a parking garage here. He just whips right through it and right into a spot. It's almost comical. You, like, almost have to laugh at, like, when they just sit there. like, And it's just quiet. It's like. You kind of have to laugh to relieve someone like that intensity that you just like, holy crap. We made it. And the joke we made was like, like a glove. <laughs> like, like a glove. Uh, and of course, the final big action sequence of it um, is the fight in the hallway and stuff like that. And it's a moment where Jason Bourne's got a gun in one hand, disarms another man, and, he, and the gun's upside down. And he's firing it. He's using his... Pinky. Pinky as the trigger finger. Yeah, to pull the pull the trigger while firing a silence like uh, I guess that I think Walter. that was it's either Walter or Beretta. And he's firing and like d- his left hand, which is not his non-dominant yeah, hand. Left with. hand Pinky firing the silence pistol while having a, another gun in his right hand firing. Clive Owens' norm- gun, I think he took off. Everybody's- yeah, it's probably Clive Owens. Fuck you, Clive Owens. And he's firing both at the dude who's coming up the flight oh of God, stairs. Which is gorgeous and. And just imagine, like, I've done, like, finger exercises before, like, whether yeah. it be stress balls or, like, you have, like, the tension where you try and just pull your fingers together. Yeah. Those hurt. Yeah. And you just got to imagine, like, all right, that's a you know, pinky. non-dominant pinky is a finger that's not utilized that often unless you're a I freak know. or something. Or I, you're I, a guitar player. Yeah. And, and then so it's like, ah, oh, ow, that's got to hurt. I mean, we got to depend, like, how sensitive that trigger was. We don't know. I mean... I, but even, I mean, I fired real guns before, and like I unfortunately I kind of really want to, but I have not. But it, there's still some pressure. Yes, even in, like if you like super lube it up, there's still no. uh, <laughs> there's still some pressure pulling that trigger. Pressure. It's different, man. It's different. Wow. Kick it. <laughs> we went from Billy Joel to Queen to Vanilla Ice for a matter of 30 seconds. Ice, right? ice, baby. Go, Ninja. Go, Ninja. Go. Go, Ninja. Go, Ninja. Go. Your father. <laughs> How do you make Tim crack up? Just walk up to him and go, my father. I found my father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Tim is dying. Miami Connection people, check it out. Anyway. 
And let's get to best parts, worst parts, and then we'll do our conclusion of it. Let's start with worst parts. What do you think is like the weakest part of this movie for you? Oh, that's a tough one, actually. Because we obviously we're glowing about this movie. We have such admiration for it. We appreciate this movie so much. It's kind of hard to think of a weak point in this movie. Maybe the they lived happily ever after ending. Really, that's stretching it because I really don't think I have a bad even with Julie Styles kind of deadpan acting. Yeah, but everything, every scene that she was in was it worked very well, and it's not like she like her deadpan acting was not it wasn't like distracting because if you're like that in the, her position, there's no room for emotion. You're just executing what you have to do. Right. So it. Maybe it's just like maybe the happily ever after ending because knowing the supremacy coming up, it's not a happy ever after ending. No, I mean it works for the movie if it's just a standalone movie. How that ends? I mean, there was a bad eighty-yard uh, dolphin squeal in the scene. <laughs> no joke. There's a dolphin like as soon as they come out uh, with the cafe scooter rental place that she owns. It's funny. Like t- I made this joke when they were, like they did like the like like a status shot of Greece where that she's hiding out. And I made a joke, like, this is totally topical and everything like that. Like, they should have, like, had, like, little, like, text pop up to see which country they were in throughout. And mm-hmm. whenever it got to Greece, I say, like, they they shouldn't put Greece as the name up there. They should just say failing economy. I mean, people would be like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Oh, that's that country. And I'm just like, oh, she, like, no wonder this business does not last long. I mean, that's for other reasons. We'll get to that in Born Supremacy. Yeah, but, no, it's... I think, yeah, I agree. I think the ADRing is probably, like, the weakest part of the Yeah, whenever form. there's, like, bad ADRing, you're, like, you notice it. Because... Okay, so that's like the worst part. Whenever you know, where there is noticeable ADRing, people will forgive bad cinematography. They will not forgive bad audio. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity. Visuals do not not play a big part. They do, but it's like they're on home handycam cameras. But mm-hmm. the audio is always stellar in those movies, yeah. and the audio sells those movies. Audience will not forgive bad audio. Yeah, which is a shame because the audio, like the mixing of all the sound effects, like and stuff. Part, there's four noticeable bad audio, uh, ADR moments in the movie. The, the German like speaking Matt Damon, the, the two, two cocking of the guns which, and during the the stairwell fight at the end of the movie, which and was, the dolphin squeal, and it's like, it, and I know. It seems very trivial. If we're, if we're thinking that, we're just we are nitpicking at this point. If we're yeah. going to find a negative for this, um, so that's probably my only real problem. That, yeah, I take I rescind my happily ever after ending because it's work. It works for the movie, and you can't help but smile at Matt Damon like uh, like Marie does when he walks in. Right. Now, um, but yeah, no ADRing is the four those four ADR moments. Now, your favorite moment in this movie. <sighs> If you can choose one. You want, I can go first if you want. You go first. I have to think. It, it's the cat and mouse chase with Clive Owen and Matt Damon. Okay. It, it, I've, ever since I first saw it, I love that sequence with them trying to figure out where they are and hunting each other down. And because we built up Clive Owen to be such a badass at this point, he has not said a word, and we know how good Matt Damon is. And, you're just and we know waiting. how good the Roman is, too, on top of that. Yeah, and you're just like, you're waiting for these two to collide. It's almost like... Like Brody and jo- and the shark at that point, dude. It's like you know they're gonna come face to face eventually, and it finally does. And it's like it doesn't overstay its welcome. It no. doesn't get monotonous. No, it doesn't. I mean, you could argue it could have gone a little bit longer because I mean it's because we enjoy it so much, we just want more of it. Yeah, but I think it's the right amount. That's my favorite moment in this movie. 
I would have to agree with you, but I think if I really had to put a stake on it, it's the... Oh, shit. I was going to say Car Chase to Paris, but Embassy scene is so gorgeous. I I guess Car Chase would be 1A, Embassy would be 1B. Okay. It's just, for me, it's very hard to pick. Okay. It, it, yeah, those two scenes probably define like what, what like I want to be Jason. I want to have Jason Bourne skills. Yes, that, those are the two scenes where it's like I want to do that. Right. Okay. Two more things we'll bring up, and then we'll wrap it up. This movie came out in two thousand two, and kind of revitalized the spy genre. Spy espionage genre, yeah. It's, but the espionage movie because that same year, Dino the Day came out, arguably the worst James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. I mean. I mean, I could put on a view to kill a lot easier than I could put on Dying of a Day. I, yes, totally. And nothing against Pierce Brosnan or anybody involved, but it was just... It's almost like... Dying of the Day is like Batman and Robin, and Born Identity is like Blade. Like, a year later, a little bit of time after, you think, like, oh, this style of movie is done because look how bloated and silly this is. But then one movie comes out and just revamps it, and you're like, oh, wait... Yeah, no, this thing can still go and it has feet on it. And do you uh, yes. think it was a conscious effort to make Casino Royale like the Bourne movies after? The oh, to- totally. Um, especially Quantum. Especially, yeah. Even though Quantum Solace was not, I didn't like Quantum Solace really. I have my problems with it, but I still enjoy it. But no, but I think because of the success, the success and fan following of. Because Casino Royale came out in what? 2006. Six. So you got two Bourne movies before that. Yeah. So the success of the identity and supremacy and that style, that really gritty style with the handheld cameras. Though Casino Royale was very uh, crane cameras and stuff. Yeah, but like, you, you think of like the opening but, sequence when it cuts to the flashback of him fighting at that dude in the bathroom. Yeah. That's very handheld. That is, yes. But just having a darker, grittier story... And also uh, a hero that doesn't need anything to to carry out what he has to do. Right. And he's, I think that was – it It killed James Bond. Yeah. I mean, James Bond, oh, look, I have all these gadgets in my invisible car. And I have – my tuxedo and I'm drinking and martinis. Drinking martinis and we're ripping off diamonds all forever. And I'm banging Halle Berry. <laughs> Meanwhile, you have Matt Damon's like, I got a ballpoint pen. I got that shitty Mini Cooper. Oh, I guess I'm banging this German chick, but I'm going to tell her to run away because she's going to die. Mm-hmm. Bring it, James Bond. <laughs> there was uh, totally, I totally went because I was preparing actually for this. Uh, many years back, uh, Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. They have like in between episodes, like these just black, th- black screen, but with white, white writing on it. Yeah, does kind of get you like chuckle in between shows. Um. They were talking about James uh, Jason Bourne on it. And they yeah, Jason Bourne makes James Bond look like a pussy. James Bond is a pussy. Arm wrestling at his house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't done a death battle of them. I'm To be honest with you, there should be a death battle. Uh, if you don't know, Screw Attack on YouTube or ScrewAttack.com. ScrewAttack.com. Uh, they have uh, death battles where they take two fictional characters and pit them against each other. Robocop and Terminator, Superman, Goku, etc., etc. Yeah. So, yeah, they should put James Bond against Jason Bourne, but I feel like... Just put James Bond. 
that's the thing. Which James Bond? And it's probably gonna be Craig at that point, or it would Dalton. probably be Craig, and they're gonna assume it's just one person. Yeah. But then you have all the gadgets versus someone that doesn't use gadgets whatsoever. Yeah, but then you think of like when they did He Man on Lion O, they had various objects at their disposal to win. And He Man won that, right? He Man won that, yeah. Right. He Man and the Master of the Universe. Hey! I said, hey! What's going on? Woo! And he prays. Oh, I've got to pray! I pray every day. So yeah, James like institution. If <laughs> even though they bring up like flying too close to the sun, like dying of the day was Icarus, and Boyan Denny was a phoenix rising from the ashes. Yes, I would. Yes, I would have to say if that. I want if I wanted to be greek mythology yeah if i want to be hoity-toity in my in comparison of these two movies right there going on that uh still going on your interview of julia uh julia right juliana yeah juliana what do you mean her whole greek mythology well it was not it was not overt i was not that was not in the forefront of my mind but i guess you could say subconsciously possibly yeah subliminally (laughs) and where where can you find her stuff too you can follow at elysian mythos on twitter Mm. as well as a Juliana Diachara on Instagram, where you find the Elysian Mythos stuff, as well as my previous podcast interview here on SoundCloud.com. Mm-hmm. But there's one last thing to talk about this yes. movie. Okay. And, and it's the, it happens, I figured if it was going to happen, it happens at the end of the movie. It might as well happen at the end of this podcast. Moby's song, Extreme Ways. Oh, my God. It is a au- audio calling card for these movies. Yes. It's in every, it's in now going to be in all five movies. Yes. Uh, they remixed it for the third movie. They remixed it for the legacy, and I'm pretty sure they're remixing it for the new Jason Bourne movie. But oh my god, does it work? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the soundtrack to this movie to begin with is amazing. I mean, it's a lot of mainly, I guess, would be considered electronic music yeah. music throughout it. But I this just John Powell. But anyway, keep going. Um, but um, yeah, Moby's uh, Extreme Ways at the very end is just killer. I mean, I have it on my iPod. It's just, and it's so hard to detach that song from these movies. Yes, it's John Pell and stuff like that. But yeah, and it's like, it's almost like Gimme Shelter to roll to like Martin Scorsese movies or anything like that. Or even so like the Indiana Jones theme or Darth Vader. It's like a song that's so intrinsically connected with a piece of pop culture right there. Yeah. This song is connected. Even though this song was not made for this movie, it was just a song that came on. That was on Moby's album. That and came out the, at the uh, same time. Yeah, the same time. But no, it was it worked very well. And yeah, it's Jason Bourne's theme song. I mean, Moby's not complaining because every time a Bourne movie comes out, I bet the number of buys for that song skyrockets. Yes. and Because um, it just kicks so much ass. Totally. 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 <laughs> yeah, so would you recommend this movie? No. <laughs> I'm gushing about it. I'm like, practically, my panties are completely dropped on the floor. I'm laying spread eagle in my bed waiting for Matt Damon to take me. Of course I'm going to recommend this movie. I I suggest you take it. I'm waiting for you, Mr. Damon. (laughs) I recommend this movie, too. Before the eroticism gets too out of hand, I'm going to wrap this up. Dakota, (laughs) if you want Damon to follow you on social media, where can you... (laughs) 
<laughs> Where can he find you? Damon, my love. You can find me on Facebook at Dakota Wiegand. Uh, I'm on Instagram as dwiegand1. Uh, Twitter by the same handle. And I'm also on deviantart.com uh, at dwdrawings. Um, but you can find me at dwdrawings.deviantart.com where you can find more reviews. Plus, I now have a blog site. Where? Oh, let me tell you where. You go to www.cartoonbinge.blogspot.com where you can see many of my past reviews being brought updated mm-hmm. and posted more out. Very nice. Yeah, check them out. All right. And every vi- every review comes with a link to the actual subject. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so it's convenient. One-stop shopping. <laughs> you thought this through, haven't you? Yes. Oh, good. All right. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at t- Twitter at TimothyRooney2. My Instagram, TRooney1012, as well as my Snapchat, if you want to follow me there. And you can follow my YouTube and Facebook page through the Lens Productions as you as if you're going through the door or something like that. My latest short film, A Cowardly Lot, is up, which Dakota helped me with. Hello. And um, our upcoming short film, Dead Love, which is being shot next weekend. And we will let you have the updates. You follow our social media feed, and you'll be seeing a lot of photos and Twitter feeds and stuff like that when we're shooting it and having a gay old time while making it. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And, of course, follow this podcast on SoundCloud.com. I hope everybody's enjoyed this review of The Born Identity with me and Dakota. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I get too inappropriate. Oh, it's all right. I, I figure if you're passionate about it, I don't think people are going to really hate you for it. Because you're not being like you're – it's not like you're passionate about hate speech or something like that. You're passionate about something that's really positive. Okay. Yeah, so – yeah. Dakota, thank you again for being on. Thank you for having me, Tim. No, of course. I'll have you any day of the week. Oh. <laughs> not, if, not if Matt Damon calls, uh, of course. I, I mean, I, I know where I am on the totem pole. Call me. <laughs> Call me. Call me. <laughs> Call me anytime. Oh, I'm going to that blondie stuck in my if head. If this <laughs> podcast gets to Matt Damon and I actually get to meet him, I would never say a single word. I would just look at him in awe. <laughs> Hi, Seriously, Kevin. This, this movie is definitely in my top ten of Very all time. Nice. But that that's how much it means to me. So yeah. We're wrapping up. Yes. Continue. Hope everybody's enjoyed this review of the Born and Daddy on SoundCloud.com. Hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast overall. Stay tuned for more geek and pop culture podcasts coming at you. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>